Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. I'm Paul Ponte, and I'm here with Ruby Rays, graduate of the Santino Brothers Academy. I've seen her wrestle at Wildcat Sports. And big fan, of course, uh, former guest Luke Hawks uh, owns and wrestles there. Uh, Ruby, how are we doing today? I am doing well. A little worn out, but I'm doing well. There you go. Uh, hopefully keeping busy during this uh, still kind of quarantine-ish time. Not exactly, but still kind of. Quarantine adjacent, but yeah, keeping busy. Um, I actually got to go back to work kind of a while ago. I've been I've been back at work, and then I just had my first wrestling show, uh, first training sessions this past weekend as well. And besides that, Santino Brothers is doing online courses, so I've been doing that two times a week. And yeah, wrestling, wrestling training in the way you could train uh, when I could get down to San Diego. Then I'm going to be training down to San Diego. We're doing shows slowly, but we're starting back with the shows. Yeah, I'm sure you missed the, uh, you know, missed the grind at this point. I miss it. Like, I feel a lot of the times I'm waking up in bed and I'm kind of like, I'm still here in my, in my hometown, in my bed. Like, it's weird when you spent so many years and you're waking up somewhere else, like, every weekend to always be waking up just right here at home. Mm. yeah mm. seeing a bunch of different people meeting a bunch of new people and then just waking up at home yeah and then and then nothing there's there's me and there's my teddy bear so uh, i touched on it a little bit in the introduction there uh trained at the santino brothers academy uh super underrated school awesome trainers uh great graduates and uh, i think in my mind and a lot of people's minds uh joey munoz when he was chaos and he was wrestling regularly probably one of the most underrated dudes in the ring. Uh, I think a lot of it was cause you know, XPW. So people kind of looked at that and were like, Oh, it's just XPW, but no, like chaos was awesome. So I read on your bio on your profile that you did some, uh, private training sessions with him. What was that like, uh, learning from him? Oh man. Learning from chaos himself was, uh, probably you, it's, it's, it's completely neat because the way we did, Oh, cheers. Hey, Cheers. Cheers. The way we did it was that uh, I went in there. It was me. It was Joey. It was sometimes Joey's wife. And there was another girl who had zero experience in wrestling or the wrestling business. And she was there. So by this point, it was 2013. And I had already been in the wrestling business for five years. And I was starting USC graduate school the same time I started at Santino Brothers. And it was almost like a, what is it that called trial by fire because he knew that I had been around the business. He knew that I knew the basics. And for the first five years, Tyler Dayton did train, um, trained on the road, uh, everywhere I could get in the ring and got in the ring. So by the time I got there, I had already had my first singles match. I was manager that had my first singles match. So Joey knew this. Joey watched my first singles match and, uh, he had already knew who I was and, he was, he was just putting me through the paces like as hard as he could and uh, doing things, giving me things in the ring that I've never taken before, but I just relied on the training I had had that day to help me through it. And it was, wrestling training is a lot like boot camp where you're going to go in and you're going to do like 100 squats, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, now that was you, 100 squats, another 100 push-ups, right, now let's run the ropes, okay, let's do squats again. Like it's meant to at least the way I see it, it's meant to break you down at first. Um, so I went through all that, and it was a it was a little bit harder because when you go to classes, you have that kind of rest between you and then the person, the person, the person, the person, this person, and then you go again. Well, that rest was like me and one other person. So that was uh, pretty hard. But after three months of doing sessions with just me and Joey I was asked to do a wrestling show they asked Joey they didn't ask me they asked Joey if I was prepared to do a wrestling show and Joey gave his blessing so that was my debut after I'd been training for alternative wrestling show AWS down here in Southern California that night I wrestled three times in one night so it everything has been very much trial by fire in my opinion from training from, from being a manager and being a manager without being a trained manager 
to going to training to having my first match and just kind of being thrown in a in a sinker swim. So you had trained already for a bit before uh, Joey, but what was uh you know the first thing you noticed that Joey did differently that you were like this is this is something I really appreciate learning from him. I would say that he did something differently that with me than Tyler did. Uh, Bateman was very pro on hitting me the way he would hit a guy, slamming me the way he would front up a guy, and that's what Joey did to me as well. Um, he definitely didn't give me any quarter, and I didn't ask for him. <laughs> but uh, maybe the big difference is that with Joey, well, obviously it was Santino Brothers, so I had a steady, stable ring. I had somewhere to go. I had somewhere to be. I had a family to become a part of because when you're training with just someone, like almost like an apprentice-style young boy type situation, um, the training was sometimes we're going to go to the gym and there's these really thin mats at the gym and we're going to wrestle on these really thin mats at the gym. <laughs> Sometimes we're going to be at, a, we're going to go to 24 hour fitness and we're going to go and we're going to do stuff inside of our fitness. Especially, you know, uh, literally, I learned how to bump, how to bump on a futon mattress. <laughs> so, getting, <laughs> so, yeah, so getting into a ring and actually having a ring and seeing how it is all the time as a consistent, it was just phenomenal. And having Joey in there to run me through the paces was. Something I'll, I'll never forget. And according to him, according to Joey, all he had to do was clean me up and send me on his way. But I, I feel like he's responsible for so much more because he taught me like footwork, he taught me ring awareness, and he taught me all these things that you can't really get unless you have a ring every single time. You know? Yeah, it felt so. He, he saw you as kind of like a diamond in the rough, and he was able to clean it up and ship you out afterward, basically. That's, that's pretty much what he did. That's, that's what he says. So I'm going by his words. There you go. <laughs> uh, so this has taken you to a lot of different places. You've even wrestled in Mexico. You've wrestled all over the country. Uh, what are some of the changes and differences you see when you're wrestling in front of different crowds? I mean, you know, so certain crowds are going to be a little bit more, they want the rough on tumble stuff. You got a little bit more of the smart marquee crowds in certain up markets. I want you to do a little bit more fancy stuff. So how do you kind of, what do you notice the differences are and how do you kind of gauge that in your ring psychology with how you're going to work the match? Um, so the differences are very clear and it's not just due to vicinity, like Southern California, all of Southern California doesn't necessarily want the exact same thing. You would think so. Um, but it's not like that. It's very dependent on each wrestling promotion. So if I work at somewhere like bar wrestling, I'm doing something completely different than if I work for Empire Wrestling Federation, which is a very home, family, children environment. Like I can't do, I can't do remotely the same stuff. And then compared to what I do at AWS, so he's no, I'm not going to do any of that there either. But for me, um, part of it is a feel. When I go to places, I will definitely ask people on the roster about what type of stuff they like. So like when I first started going to Wildcat Sports, you know, I had imagined that I was asking people there, like, well, would they appreciate some sort of, some sort of, like, basically shotgun finishes. How would they appreciate a waterfall? Like, uh, well, uh, uh, okay. Then I'm getting to feel that that's, that's not fair. Um, places like IWA Mid-South, obviously, you've you got to know where you're going. You know the IWA mid you know what the reputation is like, so you know what type of stuff you want to give them either way to tell. Um, there are a couple places where I had to rely on my opponent to help bring some of that knowledge to. For instance, I went to Ohio and I wrestled with Fisco at Rockstar Pro. You know Rockstar Pro. If you, if you follow wrestling, then you know Rockstar Pro. But exactly what type of matches and what type of people go there that's all different than just watching it from home. So a lot of it is just being very aware, aware of where you're going, looking at the audience and seeing who's in the audience, what would they appreciate? You know, like we were talking about uh, Big Time. Big Time is super family-oriented. Like, I'm not going to sit there and give the bird or, you know, <laughs> cuss at a bunch of children, you know? Yeah. I try not to cuss at all, but, you know, there's places where it's okay. It, it, it doesn't matter. Big time wrestling is definitely not one of those. Yeah, whereas if you're doing the Wildcat X-rated show, it's kind of like, well. Oh, the X-rated show. 
Yeah. Yeah. Show. Like I, I shared, I shared, a, I shared a beer with the Sandman in the ring. Like that's not going <laughs> to happen. At, you know, big time wrestling. Um, it, it's all, it's all dependent, and that's all very, very observation based. And thankfully, this was impressed on me uh, very early while I was still a manager. A lot of this, a lot of the things I learned to manage, I carry over to wrestling. Yeah, so that must have been a big help to start out kind of observing different crowds at first and then getting into getting into actually working in the ring as well. I mean, do you feel like that kind of gives you a little bit of a leg up as far as some other people might? Um, yes, because when it came time to go out and start doing shows after the Oscar New Blessing, there was a lot that I already had been because I've been doing shows as a manager, so I knew that whenever I show up to the venue to make sure I know where the hard cam is, to make sure I place myself for hard cam placement, to make sure, you know, there, there's just so many little little things. And maybe it's not even necessarily in-ring things, but there is, there is in-ring things. But there's so many little things that you learn just being around the business and how things function, how people function, how, you know, the hierarchy or the structure of a promotion function, all, all things like that that I really got to learn. Because five years is a long time to sit there and watch the wrestling business from ringside. So and I got to listen to Bateman, you know, talk about naturally. I got to listen to some really great people. I got to listen to Jerry Lynn talk about I got to listen to all these people that have been in the business for a long time. And, you know, whether or not they understood that I was listening to matches, and sometimes I ask, I listen to you guys while you do this. But other times I'm just sitting there and it's just the ears open and I'm absorbing everything around me because, number one, I'm a manager I'm and, and and I am a manager who is not fully trained. So I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to mind my keys and cues and I'm going to listen to what you say and I'm just going to absorb whether you want to do it or not. Something else. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be a sponge and just let it all, okay, absorb all this new information. So uh, how about training Lucha? What got you into wanting to train Lucha? I mean, uh, we have a... Actually, we have another host on this podcast. His name is Jesus, and he normally does the Spanish versions of this podcast, and he talks to a lot of luchadors. Uh, but you trained a little bit of lucha, it sounds like. It sounds like you you did shows, I believe, at Pro Wrestling Revolution, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. So what do you think about the difference between, you know, working American style, quote-unquote, and then lucha style? Um, it's, well, obviously, it's different. Um, it's also different, though, not just here. So, back up. When you go to Santino Brothers, the training style itself is American. They call American Lucha Libre. So you're learning the American style, you know. And then they're also throwing in all these lucha things that go along with it. So we're learning um, lucha stuff along the way. And at some given point in your training, they'll give you the blessings to go to training with those luchas, uh, which is the as tag team down here in Southern California. They are amazing. And they are literally, some, I want to call them some of the best trainers I've ever had. And that's because they're so positive and they have this mentality of don't think, just do. So like the first day at training, I was doing back hamstrings off of someone's back and sticking it, stuff like that. So I don't think that being in Southern California, you should have any opportunity to train Lucha. Um, you'll know, at least for someone like me, you'll know at least the basics, you know, someone your size, my size. I definitely want to learn how to base for things and how to hold people, make sure they're safe, you know, make sure I'm not going to slam them on the face unless I really want to. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, these, are, these are things you should know because we're so close to the border down here in Southern California and there's a lot of lucha shows that go on. And to not go and do those lucha shows, like it really cuts you out of a big market. And the lucha that I learned and all the knowledge that I had thus far, that's what helped get me into the crash. Now, we're talking about the lucha I learned here is completely different than the lucha that I experienced when I was down there. Like it's a completely different world. Um, so despite learning here, if, if someone was in Southern California, they had a chance to stream in TJ or next anywhere in Mexico for lucha, I would definitely say that because there was woo, such a difference, such a difference. But what, what was, was too, the and I was, uh, One of them, I was too slow. And that, that was one of the, the feedback I got, you know, you're, you're too slow. And where I think about everything I've learned is slow down more. So I'm like, okay, I'm too slow, slow down more. And then the match, at least that I was in, it's not just you do 
what you're going to do, and then you move on to the next ES, you're going to do what you're going to do, and then you're going to stop, you're going to pause, you're going to acknowledge the audience, you know. There's, there's, there's a bunch of differences. I felt very fortunate to be able to do the crash so early on in my wrestling career, and it definitely opened up my eyes to the whole differences where I think that I'm learning Lucha, and maybe I am learning Lucha, but I'm not learning this Lucha. And honestly, if it wasn't for Taya's Valkyrie, I don't know how I would have made it through that match. She saved me completely. How about the differences in the crowds working Lucha actually in Mexico? Um, that's kind of hard to gauge because uh, the crash is like an arena show. So it's they're kind of cheering 24-7 when you're mm. going in there. They're going, going, going. Whereas Lucha shows here, uh, what they care about is, in my opinion, what they care about is you hit hard, you hit them, you know, frequently, you're doing all your, you know, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, and they're not necessarily needing you to stop and give that bravado or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like uh, the bravado they enjoy is yelling from the crowd, from what I've seen at a lot of Lucha shows here. Yeah, yeah, yelling, yelling. I like to yell at people. <laughs> <laughs> so, Starting off in the ring, uh, you're getting better and better as you're going. But it's not just about the physical side. It's also about the social side of pro wrestling. And I always love to talk about this. How about the locker room dynamics? You know, you go to different places. You don't necessarily know everyone. How quickly, I mean, obviously you got an upper hand because you were doing the managing before. But what about learning all the, you know, the little stuff where, you know, you have to go and shake everyone's hand or you have to talk to people a certain way if they're veterans, you know, like all the little things that people, you know, kind of take a while to learn sometimes. I, I think you nailed it on the head when you said it's a little different. I had a hand up because I did managing. Um, like I said, Tyler Bateman is the man who broke me in. Tyler, I don't know how much you know about Tyler, but Tyler's from Oklahoma. So he broke in in Oklahoma He's manager, or his manager, his trainer was Gary Tool. This is like heavily Southern type wrestling, so they're huge on the respect aspect. So that was, he always impressed that to me from early on. So, so much to the point where it's like, if I if I went to a locker room and I have a chair, maybe someone walks in, they don't have a chair, I'm getting out of my chair. You know, I'm, I'm doing these things, I'm uh, offering to buy people, like, or drinks afterwards because hey you've done this all year look like you need a drink let me buy you a drink uh you know definitely shaking everybody's hand i don't know how that's gonna go post covid but <laughs> definitely, <laughs> shaking know, huh? every, <laughs> definitely shaking everybody's hands or at least acknowledging them but also having the social iq to understand when to shake someone's hand is very important to me like you don't go up obviously when someone's going over and talking on the seat conversation be like oh but hey let me, uh, hey, 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 can't be any worse than Luke, anyway. Uh, oh. <laughs> I love you, I Luke. Love That's Luke. why. I love Luke too. That's why I say that. That's why I say that. Uh, but Luke's a hard ass. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure he is. I'm definitely sure he is. I, I've been fortunate to be on this good side for uh, quite some time. So. Yeah, I, I just had uh, Jay Spade on. So there was there was a uh, he he did enough Luke bashing for a while. <laughs> oh Lord, Jay Spade! Can I give you some. I'll give you some stories about Jay Fish. <laughs> oh, let's go. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> so when you're working different styles, you're working sometimes a little bit more hardcore style, sometimes a little bit more hard-hitting stuff. What's the stuff that you like to do? If you had to pick, if they say, you got, you know, you got the run of the match, you're calling the match, what is the style you're going for? Depends on who I'm wrestling. Mm. It really does. Um, I... I would say what I call myself, I call myself a SoCal smash mouth. That's my thing. What that means is I can give the Southern California style, because apparently Southern California has a style, <clears throat> but at the same time, the smash mouth style of me is um, very much, I'm going to hit you. Probably going to hit you hard. If I'm in a tag match, I'm probably going to throw somebody at you. 
I'm, I'm going to hit you with someone else, but then I'm going to hit you again. I'm going to chop you. I'm, I, I'm very big on the size aspect of my wrestling and using size to my advantage. Um, yeah, I could do speed and I could do like this flippy stuff. Do I like to do it? Kind of, yeah. Well, I do it a lot. Kind of, no, because if I go and I do a running cannonball off the apron on people on the floor, Friday, and then you see it again Saturday, and then you see it again Sunday, then what's so special about me being my size and doing this all the time? As we called it, it's it's the it's the unicorn spot. It's the, the pulling something out of your back pocket that you want to use. So I will generally stick to a harder hitting, more aggressive style versus um, doing all this stuff. But it'll come Have you ever uh... – gone against anyone that maybe you didn't know previously and they uh, were a little bit skittish about taking a harder hitting style? A lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot, I mean, mostly, you know, not to, not to speak ill of my gender, it's mostly females because I know what my stripes look like and I'm sure they know what my stripes look like and if you've watched any of my matches on YouTube, they're, they're in there and uh, I... I, I do lay it in because that's the way I was taught to was to lay it in, lay it in safely, but lay it in. I want, I expect that back too, though. I expect to know that you're hitting me and I expect to come out, you know, having felt like I was in a fight. I don't want to feel like I don't want to be torn. Like, by all means, <laughs> don't, let's yeah. not break each other completely, but I want to know that I just had a match. So there, there's there's definitely been a couple of times where I mentioned something that goes like, Oh, okay. Um, and then I, I gauge it. Like, I won't, I like to say I'll treat everybody the same, but I won't treat everybody the same. Like, if they're really, really scared, I don't want to be that hand that makes them completely afraid to do something. You know, I, I'd like people to know that when they're coming out of masses, they're going to be okay. You know, so maybe they are afraid. Maybe they're afraid to take a running forearm in the corner from me. I'd be afraid to take one from me. <laughs> But maybe I'll make sure to take care of you a little bit more. And I, 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 I honestly do care. I don't want people to get hurt when they're wrestling me. I, I've gotten injured. I get injured most of the time by protecting another person and making sure they're okay. Um, I still got off light. I, I busted Lucas those eardrum once because we were having a slap off and like that was like heartbreaking. Like, man, I didn't mean to do that. You don't want, like, if you've ever hurt someone, like, that is not something you want. Yeah, I mean, there's a big difference between like, you know, hey, we're both going to go in here, we're both going to do this tough, we're mutually like, you know, tough in this, and then there's like, you know, being Vader, and then just like potatoing people the whole time, like, (laughs) there's a big difference between those two things, so. Yeah, 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 I can't, I can't do that, and I I do have a reputation for being hard, because I, I, I hit hard, but it's, it's always with, I would say it's always with people that understand, understand and know and are going to be okay. And so this is the footage that goes out because a lot of people are, you know. Do you feel like uh, if you're a woman that hits too hard, you get judged a little differently than a man who hits too hard in the ring? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I've had someone tell me that I have a reputation for for stiffing people and being unsafe, which, okay. I mean, you're going to say what you want to say about me, but why don't you get in the ring with me and let's see, like, let's see what this is about. Let's see, you know. And if you don't yeah. like it, then you don't like it. Because honestly, you know, I mean, I'm going to quote Joey here. If you don't want to get kicked in the teeth, don't become a professional wrestler. Sit at home and play your games. Because yeah. it's going to happen. Things are going to happen. You're going to get hit. Sometimes yeah. they hit might bust up. God, I've had my mouth busted open more times than I could count. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, and it might not even be from, you know, actually getting punched you know someone does a leg drop or an elbow drop awry and all of a sudden you get clocked in the temple like it's gonna happen eventually it's gonna happen i i, I got blacked out before from taking i was sitting on my ass in the corner and a girl did a running ass attack to me and i her ass blacked me out <laughs> it blacked me out like i was sitting there and all of a sudden the ass hits me in the face and I, I i go black for a second and i come back and they're scarred it's like your ass <laughs> So when you're first starting out, I mean, women's wrestling has come 
a long way in just like the past decade, really. I mean, the difference between, you know, watching on TV before and seeing Braun panties matches and all that nonsense. And then what's going on today is, is hugely different. Is that discouraging at all in the beginning of when you start out? Like not seeing women's wrestling as, as big as it is right now, or did you kind of know that, you know, it's moving that direction? I did not predict that it would move in that direction, but I hoped that it would. Um, when I decided to go ahead and get fully trained from Santino Brothers, my goal was to help women's wrestling in Southern California and show that women's wrestling can be good in Southern California. So at that given point, we had maybe four female wrestlers. And, you know, they all, this is the time where most of the time they're wrestling each other. Um, you had the breakouts like Candace, who got to wrestle with guys, and, you know, eventually we're all wrestling with guys eventually, but most of the time it was like Thunder Kitty versus New York Knockout. And what are we going to do over here? Thunder Kitty versus New York Knockout with Mariah Moreno. What are we going to do over here? Mariah Moreno versus Thunder Kitty. Like, it's, it's, it yeah. was, it's very condensed and confined. And so at that given point, I, when I, I started wrestling, I became very defensive about girls that would do those kissing spots or spanking spots or, you know, that were like, oh, why don't we take off our shirts? And I, I got defensive about it because that was what I wanted to help us become. And <clears throat> and that's fine. I'm sure I'm sure people didn't like me for that because I'm, I've had people say, oh, you're too serious. Well, I fucking love this, okay? Yeah. I want us to be better and I want us to be seen as something where you're okay if you're a 13-year-old girl watching you in the ring. What do you want that 13-year-old girl to see? Do I want her to see me coming out here and trying to be a tough, legitimate competitor and then being put over someone's lap and spanked repeatedly? Not saying that I've never been put over someone's lap and spanked. That did happen in a match before. Once, you know. Mm -hmm. I'll explain that. But, <laughs> but you know, this it, it shouldn't be a staple. It shouldn't be, like, the... As, as I rebelled against, we shouldn't be the special attraction. Now, I get and I understand that being a female and being a female wrestler is kind of a special attraction, but, you know, let, let's not make it so blatant that, oh, the girls are coming on, okay, let's go, uh, let's go get some beers because this girl's going to get kissed by someone in her top my ear. I don't know. I, I, yeah. Super defensive against it. Yeah, I mean, wrestling came from the circus, but it doesn't have to be a circus. There you, <laughs> you know? go. You, you use it. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, with what do you feel about like doing the intergender matches? I mean, yeah, you've done quite a few of them. Uh, they're a lot of fun. I, there's a lot of people who rattle against them way too hard. Uh, people got to calm down, I think, a bit um, because I think I haven't never, I've never, if they're done right, pretty much just like anything else in wrestling, if it's done right, it works. If it works, it works. So why do you think so many people are, so reticent to just sit back and enjoy an intergender wrestling match um let me reverse that you said i've done some intergender yeah. wrestling that's pretty much it's not all i've done but that is pretty much what i do um coming up at santino brothers i was the only girl there for the longest time and so when i started wrestling at santino brothers i've had maybe three matches total against girls okay um, the rest are against guys, and I two defeats since 2013. So, uh, yes, I know, I understand. But I'm saying uh, this is setting things up. Um, yeah, people are a, a lot of people are very much against uh, intergender wrestling, and for the longest time, for the longest time, I was very much like everybody is an intergender wrestler. If you are a wrestler. You're an intergender wrestler because you're going to be training with girls, and training with guys, and girls, etc., etc. Um, very pro intergender wrestling. I still am very pro intergender wrestling. Um, as time progressed, and as I grew as a wrestler, and you know, just throwing in general, I've come to realize that intergender wrestling it, it, it isn't for everybody. Um, I don't think that everybody is an intergender wrestler. We all should be. Yes, we definitely all should be. But intergender wrestling is one of those things that you were saying is great when it's done right. But I don't 
think that everybody can necessarily do it right. Mm. Um, I think that intergender wrestling should be handled the same as Rey Mysterio versus the Big Show. Not saying that that's going to be like the, you know, be all end all. Not every girl is a Rey Mysterio size. A lot of them are. <laughs> you know, not every girl is that small. You have someone like me who's five foot nine, or someone like Jessica Havoc. You know, the way we, me, Jessica, other girls of our size handle matches against guys is it can be completely different than how someone like a Portia Perez would handle against a guy. Like things have to be done, in my opinion, smart. And especially when it comes to intergender wrestling, it should be done smart all the time in wrestling, but especially when it comes to intergender wrestling, because you want to be accepted in the sort of way. If you're going to be accepted in the sort of way, you have to be very smart about what you do and keep that air of believability because without it, then you're throwing all this hard work so I don't want, in my opinion, and there, there, there are exceptions to everything. I don't, I wouldn't want to see someone say Delilah June size, straight Germany, someone Brian Cage size from their feet. That's yeah. my take on intergender wrestling. I am very huge on believability aspect in professional wrestling. Period, especially with intergender wrestling. Yeah, and I feel like it also comes with the extra pressure of you know it's something that some people don't agree with quote-unquote, so like you're almost pressured to make it a better match because I feel like if two dudes go out there or two women go out there and they're wrestling each other and they have a mediocre match, it's kind of like, whatever, next match is coming. But there's like since there's that bias against intergender wrestling as it is, if the match isn't good, it's almost like you're... And you're, this is you're, why. Yeah. And this is why people look at it. Yeah. You they, give they, them that excuse. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I don't, I don't want to be... As a, as a female wrestler, as an intergender wrestler, I don't want to be that excuse. I don't want to be that match that points at, see, see, it's fake, and this is why it shouldn't, you know. Like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you ever actually interact with other workers? You know, don't have to say any names, but any, any dudes who, who straight up have been like, oh, I don't like this intergender wrestling bullshit? I've interacted with them. I dare say I've had a match with them. So I'm not gonna name names. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I'm not, I'm not gonna name names, but um, yes, I, I definitely. As far as like interacting in everyday life, I used to go ahead and I used to throw a fit and I used to try to make my points. Um, but honestly, there's there's nothing you could say to someone to make them like something that you don't want. You could show them footage, you could show them this, you could show them that, but if they're against that before, you can't change anybody's mind. You know, you, you, you can yeah. show them all you want, but you can't change their mind. And so at this given point, I think my response is like, well, you know better. Yeah. I don't know, like, I, it's like you said, it, it all depends on who's working, how good they're working, or the type of match they're working when it comes to gender wrestling. I mean, I watched, um, it was when uh, the pandemic first started and, and uh, it was like Rev Pro in the UK. They did a, an empty arena show where you could like tip and like for money or whatever. And Will Ospreay and B Priestley had a match and it was phenomenal. I was like, this is amazing. And it was not like, you figure, you know, that's his girlfriend, but he's chopping the shit out of her. <laughs> and I'm just like, good Lord. Uh, and it was just like a real believable, intergender, hard-hitting wrestling match. And I was like, this is like, like I, I feel like people who shit on it most of the time are people that don't take the time to even like look it up. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and I'm sure there's some that are the you know the shits, but that's every that's every wrestling match. It's wrestling. I mean, for the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there, there have been quite a few, you know, intergender matches could get awkward, and when I say that, I mean. Sometimes an intergender match can make people feel uncomfortable because of that hard-hitting aspect. There is one match in particular, Kana versus Tajiri from Smash 2010. Um, it's one of my favorite wrestling matches, but at some given points, like the match itself got very, like it, it got a little hard to watch because mm. Tajiri was just putting the boot through. And she, she has a couple from... Um, Back in Japan, where I watched, and it definitely got uncomfortable from getting points. So I'm sure there's there's that aspect too when you're talking about the Osprey match. Um, I, I haven't seen it. I want to see it now that you talk about it. I haven't seen. It, I want to see it. Um, I know. 
I have wrestled my ex in professional wrestling, and you'll put the boots on me like, but you would not even believe. So <laughs> <laughs> I got uncomfortable doing that match. So, so I imagine that people watching it probably have that, you know, that air of yeah. comfortability. But um, when it's done right, and you just have two athletes, you have a great story of, you know, guy versus girl, you know, whatever versus whatever pride versus this or that or whatever. But I, I think when it's done right, you know, definitely intergender wrestling has such a great power behind it. And people like to say, well, oh, you're showing that, you know, you could a girl on it, it's okay, you know, this and that. Everybody, a lot of times they take a male-centric point of view on it. What does this do for the guy? Well, it's a guy being a girl. Okay, well, why don't you stop looking at it from a male point of view and start looking at it from a female point of view? Okay, yeah. so what am I showing a female? I'm showing a female that, hey, guess what? You can fight back. So maybe there is someone in the audience who's dealing with this at-home situation. Maybe they have an abusive spouse or they have an abusive someone. Guess what? They're looking at me and they're saying, me fight back. Okay, They recognize me. They connect with me. They see themselves in me and then they fight back. What about little girls? How many times have a little girl been bullied by a on a playground? And you know, well, you don't say no. That, you're gonna fight back. Like there's so many different ways to look at it, but it's always the male centric point of view that's looked at understandably because wrestling is dominated by males, but there is two sides to every point and we should definitely take the time to look at the female aspect of that. Yeah, and I, I have trouble uh believing the that they're they're not being disingenuous <laughs> because I don't know, I maybe this is my California snowflake woke boy, you know, bullshit, but to me, I feel like that's just a sexist viewpoint when you when you can't when you say that women do because those same people who were like, well, what about men hitting women in those matches? Uh, I'm guessing they didn't have too much of a problem when Sister Sherry got up on the ring apron and distracted a guy one too many times and the guy popped her and the crowd all went nuts thinking that was hilarious. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing no one, not one of them, spoke up a peep when that shit was going down. So. Oh, not at all. No one, no one, no one gave two shits when uh, Dave Butra fucking clobbered me one off the apron at APW. In fact, they cheered and then they said both yeah. things to me. Like, it, it's so, that's, that's situational as well. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like to think, I do on a regular basis, on any given month, I wrestle more guys than I do girls. That's just how it is. Um, people like to see me versus guys. And like I said, I'm, I'm only five foot nine, but that's still very tall for a female wrestler. And I have no fear. And honestly, I'm, I've been asked about this. Like, I, I had one show where they wanted a guy to beat me up after the match, and then they wanted me to be saved by a guy. And uh, saved by my ex, my ex boyfriend, my boyfriend at the time. Um, and he, he kind of didn't want to do it. And he's like, well, what? If you if she was on the street and she was fighting the guy, you just gonna let her? And the answer was yes, because I've been in that scenario before. And in real life, I have gotten into fights and I have gotten into fist fights with guys in real life. Like this is this is me. This is how I live. This is my life. I am okay fighting a girl or a guy in real life on the street. Why should I be okay fighting a girl? Well, uh, that's a that was gonna be a great segue to my next question, but you kind of answered it because uh, my <laughs> next question was going to be. Uh, you're very intense in the ring, and and uh, I was gonna say how much of that is really you, and how much of that is the uh, the. Uh, but based on the fist fight talk, I'm gonna guess that's 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 you. So um, it's completely yes. Uh, I ever since I was small, I, I was always taught by my dad to defend myself. My dad, I feel, did the majority of raising me in my very formative years, and so he comes from a family of. 13 brothers and sisters, so they were always had each other's backs and someone messing with them, they were ready to go. Um, as a kid, kid kid growing up, we would do family reunions out on we have a ranch. Uh, we would do family reunions at the ranch and part of the festivities were the night where to line up the kids and let's put some gloves on and the kids are gonna go hide it with each other. So like these it, it's not uncommon for me to have this besides that like my dad and my mom always taught me growing up to stand up for what is right and stand up for people that can't stand for themselves. So growing up and into my 20s and everything, some of the fights I've gotten into weren't because of me. They were because I saw someone else getting beat up on or I saw someone else getting picked on and I, I, I wasn't going to stand up for it. 
I wasn't going to just walk away. I, there was one time on my street, there was one guy, he was walking up the street, and I could hear a commotion outside, and I see three guys and one guy, and they look like they're about to fight. I'm just, I don't know what happened, and I grabbed a baseball bat, and I walked out onto the street, and I said, all right, guys, we're going to do three-on-one. How about let's do three-on-three? Him, me, bat. Like, let's go. This is just how I'm dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dumb. Maybe a little too fearless. I've I've done things like I've pulled girls out of rookie situations at clubs because I'm not going to let this shit happen. And the guy will act up and I have no problem, you know, getting rid of the guys, catching the guy so I can get this girl in the situation. Um, I'm dumb. (laughs) That's the only thing I can can think to say. Like, you know, they say if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. So I I guess I'm just going to have to be tough. And uh, is that did that that fearlessness kind of help into you know because when you go into wrestling you got to play with play to the crowd also you know were you always uh, extroverted in that way were you always able to kind of like you know put yourself out there? I think so, and I I'm sure uh, I did a lot of theater growing up, so that definitely helped. I was in theater from like third grade and then junior high and high school and then outside of high school I did acting theater outside of that, you know, it, that apparently, um, and I've seen home videos, I was always kind of a ham in front of the camera, so there's that, but honestly, when it comes down to being out there, it's just me, it really, a lot of my character is just me, and then, like, if they turn it up a little, yeah. and so I, I don't have to turn it up that much, I'll turn it up a little. <laughs> what kind of theater do you do, do you do musical theater? I did! Oh, I did what, that. what productions? Uh, Bye Bye Birdie, um, oh gosh, I'm making think. we had an original show called Imagination, uh, we did an original show called Thunder Valley, I, I've done a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I actually, I host two podcasts, this one and a musical theater podcast. <laughs> It's a movie musical podcast. We talk about all the movies that are adaptations. See, that's, that, that's duality of my life, wrestling. And musical theater so anyway <laughs> yeah. they go hand in hand more often than people think i would say they actually do i know a lot of wrestlers who did theater as well yeah. like for me i grew up in theater and i grew up in sports specifically basketball and basketball for a very long time so um and then theater i did stage combat and theater as well so like it's it's literally taking the sports i grew up in basketball baseball uh sorry basketball tennis Swimming, track, this and that, and then all the theater I did, and just <laughs> there um, I am. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, it's about that time. There is a large middle-aged man running because the show is coming to a close, and the Booker is pissed, and he's telling everyone to take it home. All right. So we got some quick-fire questions here towards the end. Uh, you know, if uh, you think about something that you want to digress, please feel free. There is no strict lanes here favorite move or hold that you do not use favorite move or hold that i not use uh, power gateman's death from above there you go uh craziest fan interaction you've had i had probably a 70 some year old grandma in a wheelchair hit me from behind and when i would turn around and punch her i saw it was a grandma <laughs> organ or, Organ. Yes, that was an organ. It was an organ? Okay. You crazy pack Norwest people. <laughs> uh, besides trying to hurt you, what's the worst thing someone can do when they're working with you in a match? Not take me seriously. When's the last time you were legitimately surprised by someone you worked with? Um, <laughs> Soraya Knight. Soraya Knight at Shimmer uh, last fall. Uh, she booted me straight <laughs> Straight in the nose. That was a surprise. <laughs> I should have put my hands up. <laughs> Didn't break a nose? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe a little broke because I got the I got the this here. It, oh, was, just, okay. it was straight in. I that was in, I looked at the boot. Whatever. <laughs> Has a booker ever tried to stiff you on money? Yes. Yes. Really? Uh, promotion in Las Vegas. Tried to stiff me on money. Um, we stayed there for two hours. We eventually went home. We didn't take any phone calls or anything or a watch. 
uh, we went home, they had come to pay, blah, 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 blah. Um, she ended up getting a hold of someone who helped from the company, uh, started threatening to sue, and they wanted payments. Oh, there's this other time someone tried to stiff, uh, stiff me, and we literally sat at the venue till 3 a.m. to get paid. Wow. We're, we're about to take some furniture, but that's, that's serious. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? At a show or in the ring? Either way. Man, maybe the one that's going to come to mind is this past weekend. I was wrestling against Jordan Cruz and Hunter Freeman. And there's this kind of, it's like an inside joke where we were doing something. We were playing like beer pong and I was doing a distractor on beer pong. And so I bolted up and did the, <laughs> for the machine gun. But I was such a girl. I went like, <laughs> And so during my naps the other day, this guy's dog my strikes, dog my strikes. He goes, stop. And I'm like, what? And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully I had a mask on, but I was dying beneath it. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 I, I always wonder this. Do workers ever try to make the other one break in the ring? Does yeah. that happen a lot? <laughs> I broke Willie Mac. Oh, yeah? I broke Willie Mac. How? After we, lo- we, we, uh, we were having a match. It was completely serious, like championship match. And uh, after we locked up for the third time, we felt a little bit, and then we separated. And as we were walking around, like, I went like this. And I said, it smells like chocolate. <laughs> and he's like, and he just started busting up. <laughs> he puts cocoa, like, cocoa stuff on him. It smells like chocolate. Yeah. And he's the chocolate juggalo, so. Um, you've seen a lot of different workers at a lot of different promotions. What's the worst gimmick you've seen? I might get his name wrong. Okay. And I don't think he wrestles anymore, but his gimmick was the one. Right, Yum? The one something. And so we're like, what is that? And he had like a one tattoo. It's really big right here. Like, no. you're, you're, you're really going in on this. Really, the one? The one what? The one. The one who takes a lot of time to order at Denny's. <laughs> the one who just got the ass one because that just happened. And <laughs> that, that was, that was, uh, that might be it. The one. Welcome to McDonald's. What can I get you? This bad boy right here. It was Nebraska. <laughs> it was Nebraska or Iowa. One of the two. That's, that's going in hard on a gimmick. That's. I want the one. <laughs> um. When you get a lot of guys working who used to work WWE, WCW, ECW, uh, you know, big names, quote unquote, uh, and you don't have to name any names, but are there any that you saw or worked with at a show that thought they were way bigger than the show and acted like it? Yes, but it wasn't anybody from WWE or like Impact or anything. It was um, a luchador from Mexico. And I won't say who. Yeah. But we had a we had a locker room for all of us because we're we're at a it was a fair show, so we had this one locker room for everybody. And that that's just gonna it's a fair show. That's just what's gonna happen. Small little tent, but you know big enough to put everybody in. Um, he refused to change in there with all of us, so we all had to get out of the locker room, and that was his locker room. What a dick. <laughs> that's. And so we we all had to change outside in like hundred degree weather. On asphalt because that's so That is wow. Okay, uh, I call this the uh, the touchy feely question of the the segment. Your pure joy in wrestling, whether it be something that happens before the match, during the match, after the match, something that when it happens, you get the goosebumps. You you go, this is why I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling. When we are hitting each other and we are feeling it so deep that nothing else matters and there's nobody in the crowd, it's just me and the other person going fisticuffs one-on-one. And uh, finish off with any pranks or embarrassing stories you can remember. So there was, this is whole backstory. So um, once upon a time, a backyard wrestling promotion followed me on Twitter. And so I looked them up and I was trying to see who they were. And I started watching their vignettes and they were fucking amazing. Like, I was dying at these vignettes, so I got a group of wrestlers to go with me to go watch the show. Hey, let's go check out this backyard show. Um, there was a diamond in the rough there who had a whole lot of time, a whole lot of charisma. So we decided to 
picked the diamond out of the pocket and we we got him training like legitimate training that was paid for and everything like that he didn't have to worry about it um and uh it was time to go on the road for the first time and have his debut match was going to be on the road we went up to oregon and we were all staying in this hotel room it was uh like me we and a couple of guys and, and this this newbie and we could not for the life of him get him to stop snoring at night like we were pushing him like we're and there's a whole bunch of people in this one you know this one hotel room we're like pushing him he's snoring his ass off so we're like all right ice shoe so we got his shoes we dumped him in water and then we put them in the damn yeah we had to wake up for that next morning <laughs> is that guy still wrestling no he actually within his first year someone gave him a move that cracked the c the c4 and so it was essentially like, hey, you need to stop wrestling. Wow. Damn. That's crazy because that's almost like the beginning of that story is almost like a movie. It's like we went to watch Backyard Wrestling. We found someone. We got him trained. He went and did a show. <laughs> like it's just this whole wonderful story. It was, it was wow. great. And he, he was actually, he was, he, was, he was good. And he had a look and he had charisma and all this and that. And then he took it. It was like, it was like a choke slam onto the guy's knee and the way he landed him was like way up here on onto like the bend of his knee and it it, it just jacked him up so bad and I, he still follows me on social media and i'm pretty sure he still has neck problems like it cracked it cracked the c4 or c5 or something up here he's showing us that it was essentially like the doctor's fault i'm like yeah no yeah damn all right, so that pretty much brings an end to the podcast. I want to thank you for being on. Please promote all the social media, anything, so people can check out your work. Um, you can just find me under Razor Pops under everything. I have the same name. Uh, that's R A Z E R P O P S. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You just look up Ruby Rays and my website www.razorpops.com. All right. Thanks for very much for being on. I know I pop for Ruby Rays when I see her wrestle and you should too. Check out razorpops.com.